All right, what's up, listeners? Stuart here. Episode 45, the Dwelle Podcast with Tanner Viznik. I don't know if you know Tanner, but you soon will. Uh, I saw Tanner for the first time at Point to Point, absolutely crushing the pro category. He ended up winning that day. And uh, this is an episode where we get to know Tanner. He is uh, a young, up-and-comer, racer, trainer, coach, uh, phenom, really. We're grateful to spend a few minutes with Tanner and uh, have him tell us his story, some of his keys to success, and to just hear uh, how he gets along with life being so busy and so full of success. We're grateful for Tanner and thankful that he could reach out to us to connect on a podcast. Um, Hope you enjoy it. Grateful for all the new kits that were picked up uh, last week. Looking forward to camp down in St. George and are obviously super grateful for everybody on the team who is participating down in camp, who's committed. You can still commit to come. Uh, The way you do that is $30 on the Shopify account. That lets us know that you're going to be there and be part of camp. You can still do so. We're going to start placing orders for food and all the swag and everything in the next couple weeks. So let us know if you want to come and be part of team camp down in St. George. All righty. Thanks, everybody. Grateful to have you, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this episode with Tanner. Thanks. All right, what's up? Welcome to Me Dwell Podcast. I am Stuart Anderson, joined just solely today by Tanner Viznik. Welcome, Tanner. Good morning. Good morning. Good to chat with you, Stuart. Yeah, man. Grateful to have you on. I'll introduce Tanner in just one sec. Uh, before we do, I wanted to just do a quick team business. Thanks, everybody, for kit pickup last week. I mean, we almost saw every single person, uh, only 10 lonesome bags remained that I shipped off this week to everybody. And everybody's already asking, which is disgusting, when are they going to order more flipping spandex? So uh, we're going to open the kit, the team store again in April. So April 1st, we'll open everything back up and then um, those kits will ship in June. We're looking forward to team camp just a couple weeks away, March 17th and 20th down in St. George. Everyone's welcome. So come on down. Um, there's 80 guys signed up already and ladies, 80 guys and ladies. So um, there's still time to sign up. We're just go to the Shopify link and make it official, just $30. And uh, besides that, dude, welcome Tanner. Tanner, current training status, Tanner. What are you doing right now? Well, so I'm currently in Colorado, actually. I'm okay. visiting my family here. And as luck would have it, as soon as I arrived, it got really cold. Uh, it's been highs around 10, 15. Yesterday's high was eight, oh. Oh. <laughs> which uh, in Salt Lake, I don't think it's hit eight degrees once this whole year. No. So this no. has been quite the shocker. Um, but I did bring my trainer with me. I got my kicker set up in the garage. Nice. So I've been doing yeah. trainer workouts uh, okay. and then a combination of some strength work. Uh, there's a gym like three minutes from here. And uh, getting up on the mountain, doing some skiing as well. Um, I love skiing and doing a variety of off-the-bike activities in the winter. I think it really helps my um, motivation and mental health throughout the winter to, you know, feel fresh going into the season. You know, obviously you need to do that certain level of maintenance um, with the the trainer workouts. But uh, I like adding in some of the skiing. That's kind of what my original background was in. And then going into March is when I'll, you know, go more full into biking and once it gets a little bit warmer and the weather gets a little bit nicer cool uh trainer road what is it zwift what are you using what are you doing Your so my program? setup's actually so i i work with sarah kaufman um which mm-hmm. i'm sure many of you all know um yeah. and so you know i get she puts all my workouts on the trading peaks platform um yeah. but i just do the workouts um you know i i upload them to like the wahoo app and i you know control the kicker through that yeah, I definitely would like to do Zwift at some point, um, yeah, but I haven't ter- quite gotten terrible. into it yet. It's awful. Yeah. We'll have you part of our group. I, <laughs> it's what I say to every single person that joins us. Welcome to hell. It's yeah. uh, awful in there. Hey, if you, if you don't know Tanner, um, so first time I saw Tanner, Kristen's at Point to Point um, last year. It was our first time. I was supporting her. I wasn't racing. And the pros go off. So Tanner's a professional mountain biker. If you don't know, he, he stood on the top of the podium for point to point last year. And, uh, you know, Round Valley is kind of fun. Everybody's still like laid back and whatever. It's like when the pros come through Round Valley, 
is it is like almost tenor it was like terrifying to watch how fast you guys were coming you know like down that hill through the parking lot i think you guys i mean you guys been going for the whole rest of that day i could not fathom how hard you guys were riding i mean what was your total time at point to point so i ended up around six hours 20 i believe Um, yeah (laughs) that's so just for um just for reference, like Kristen, my wife finished in like 940. And dude, to watch you guys come through and then I, you're sitting in the parking lot with Melissa, just like hanging out on chairs, like lounging about. I'm like, I would be in a hospital if you, <laughs> it was uh, it was quite an impressive day, man. Cause I saw you at every single one of the um, uh, feeding stations. And I mean, obviously I'm there like, oh man, there's Lachlan. You guys were crushing Lachlan. Like he was Anyway, we'll get into that. Very good. Okay, so Tanner, um, before he was professional mountain biker, Tanner, professional skier, which he talked about just a minute ago, on the Telmark World Cup, uh, bachelor's degree with honors. I, dude, what about this? In snow science mechanics? What in the world? What is that? <laughs> so it's a pretty unique program to Montana State. Um, okay. So essentially, it's within, it's a bit confusing because it's within the earth science department. So I did get a bachelor's of science. That being said, uh, most of my coursework, at least from junior year on, like the upper level classes, that was in a lot of civil engineering courses, like starting with the basics of statics and dynamics, moving on to mechanics and materials and hydraulics and and whatnot, uh, fluid mechanics. Uh, But it, it essentially is looking at snow as a material, as opposed to like, you know, civil engineers might look at it water and how that performs and like, like, you know, hydrologist and, um, you know, calculating how to, uh, you know, build dams, for instance, like one of my good buddies works, uh, you know, as an engineer down in the front range, um, working on dams. Um, but this is kind of like that, but for snow. So the mechanics of how snow deforms and how, um, you can generate an avalanche, for instance. Um, so a lot of it is involved in the avalanche world, but also in like, how do we construct um, devices in the mountains to protect roads, for instance? Oh. Um, how do we calculate if an avalanche runs, will it go all the way down the hillside and up the other side and hit the road? Um, like how much snow load is required for that to happen? And then that will go into informing engineering decisions as to what structure you might build uh, and what sort of mitigation you might do on the road. So this is a really cool degree. Super nerdy. I love it. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So engineer, I mean, and then we'll talk about what you do um, full-time now for a job, but Mm -hmm. uh, did you work in that field for long? Like, are are you, I mean, you're a coach now, so we'll talk about that in a minute, Mm -hmm. but did you work in that field? Did you like work as a snow engineer? So I haven't, had much experience with uh post undergrad work so far okay um i when i got to like my senior year in uh undergrad and actually post-grad um is when i started to really excel in the mountain bike world okay so i made a decision to pursue uh my athletic pursuits and you know to see where that would take me uh and that brought me to utah and uh, that took me into like the coaching sphere, which I'm doing right now. We'll talk about that later. Um, but I'm still like exploring um, where I might want to take that next. Um, but life kind of takes some unexpected turns and twists, yeah. and uh, the the demands of essentially developing like an off road privateer program, which is what I've done for this year. It's sort of like a full time job, actually. So um, I'm kind of just focusing on. The racing and the coaching right now and then in the future okay. we'll kind of delve back into that snow world okay cool very yeah. good <laughs> okay so uh tanner's been professional mountain bike racer since 2016 and coach since 2017 uh top of the podium many times many well-known races recently having won park city point to point which we just talked about uh, he has experience racing various long lengths and technicalities all over the country a true seasoned pro. Uh, Tanner works with a variety of athletes from juniors to pros and specializes in developing young racers and guiding them through the seasons that come. Uh, 
Tanner, I spent a lot of time on your website. Really cool. I love this hashtag you've got here, want over watts. It's like the first big red thing you see when you go to the website. Explain that. Talk about that. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. So that comes from my experience in the cycling world. I got into it uh, when I was up in undergrad and I never went through one of these development programs in you know, something like a Boulder program or something in Utah. And so I just kind of rode my bike. Uh, my freshman year in Montana State, I didn't have a car. And if you've ever been to Bozeman, it's like a big open valley. So I would ride my bike between classes, my mountain bike on the roads to get to the trailhead. And then I would ride the trail and then ride back into town on my mountain bike. So I just like built all this fitness. And I had like, no, I didn't even you know, use a heart rate monitor. I just was riding my bike. Um, and then, uh, you know, my buddies were like, you should hop in some races. I was like, okay. So I hopped in some races starting in 2016 and I had built all this fitness up doing that, but obviously I had some shortcomings and like, I'll get my butt kicked at the start. Cause I had no sprinting ability. Cause I never did that. And so then I started honing in like the specifics of, uh, you know, working on high intensity stuff and low intensity stuff and like building a more structured program. And that's kind of what I've done with Sarah and Sarah's helped tremendously with that. Um, but I feel like it's really important to initially, especially as a younger athletes, uh, to really focus on riding and the enjoyment of being outside, no devices, you know, maybe, maybe don't even bring a head unit. If you're going on a fun ride, you can record your ride in, on your phone in Strava if you want to post it to Strava. But just like go out, ride, have fun, um, go hard with your buddies, uh, build that strong fitness base. Um, and then once you get to a high level, of course, you're going to use power. Um, it's very critical, but uh, don't obsess about the numbers all the time. I think that can be really detrimental to performance. Uh, the metrics are important, but the passion and the drive behind, which to me stems from the love of riding itself is what's most important Very for cool. all athletes of any age. Yeah. One over Watts, man. That's the title of our podcast. 10. That's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Let's, uh, let's talk for a sec about how you got there. So, um, maybe just give us some background school family, mm -hmm. your, um, kind of your history of how, where you, how you've gotten to where you are. Definitely. So I, so my family moved to Colorado when I was starting middle school, uh, and so to Steamboat Springs, which um, if you all aren't familiar with, it's a small resort town in Colorado. It's known as Ski Town USA. So as you can imagine, everybody skis, and there's a big ski development program called the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club. It's known for producing the most winter Olympians of any Damn. town in America, actually. Really? Uh, and yeah, I think it's up to like 100, like just shy of 100. What? When you include the Beijing 2022 athletes, you hear that Park City, you're getting smoked Park City <laughs> and Park City has the facilities now that are pretty unrivaled, but it's like <laughs> Steamboat and Park City are like two of the best places if you're yeah. a winter athlete. So, um, I of course wanted to get involved and, uh, I'm somebody I met at school was like, you should do this Telmark skiing. I was like, what the heck is that? And he showed me a video, these people going, basically lunging down the mountain. I was like, that looks a little bit unnecessarily hard, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. I always think that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I, I like the challenge. Like I kind of want to do something different. You know, so many people I knew were Alpine racing or they were Nordic racing. And I was like, that's cool. I have a lot of respect for them, but I want to do something different. So I started Telmark skiing and the first year I started the Telmark nationals were in Steamboat. Steamboat's pretty big um, Telmark community. And so I just hopped in as a junior. And uh, the way the races are set up, um, I encourage you all to look up a video of it on YouTube. It's a really funky race format. It starts um, with GS gates um, that you have to do telemark turns and there are judges that uh, assess if you are doing a proper turn, which means there has to be a boot space between the heel of your front foot and the toe of your back foot. And then you have to smoothly transition to the other side when you, you know, mm. go across the fall line to the next turn. And so you do the GS gates in Telemark, and then you have a jump that you have to like make a line unless you're, if you don't, you're penalized. And then you do more skiing and then you go around this big bank turn and then you skate ski. So you do the whole thing with long skate poles. 
What? Uh, it's 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 like a combination of Nordic combined and Alpine ski racing huh. into one event, okay. uh, and it's super fun. So I did that, and I got a letter um, in the mail that was like, "You've been invited to be on the development team." Um, and I was like, cool. So starting in high school, I started training with the ski racers at the Winter Sports Club. And it was a pretty intensive program. Like we did a lot of dry land training, a lot of aerobic conditioning, a lot of strength training. Uh, and I, my sophomore year, I went to a World Cup event. There was one in Steamboat. And then I actually went over to Spain for an event. And um, the next couple of years, I went to various uh, World Cup events across Europe and in the US. And I really developed a strong passion for it and spent a lot of hours training for it. Uh, but when I went off to college, uh, I started developing more of a love for endurance sport. And during my senior year, we did mountain biking as dry land training. Nice, and I was like, nice. this is super fun. Like it's, it kind of terrified me at first. Uh, I didn't really, I was awful at descending. I, I just enjoyed going up at that point. Cause uh, the whole uh, mechanics of descending on a mountain bike. I, and I was on this like old rigid stumpy that like was pretty brutal, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was wicked fun. And, you know, I wanted to get better at it. So, you know, I invested in a, a better mountain bike, a giant Anthem at the time and started biking all the time at school. Like I was saying, I'd ride to the trails and whatnot. And uh, I just really developed this love of like long, endurance long you know suffering on a bike it's just I don't know I just loved it so that's when I decided to hop in some races um in 2016 so that was my sophomore year in college I uh, had been doing a little bit of spring road racing with the collegiate team and uh I thought that was fun and I got pretty good at it the sophomore year and I started doing road races in Colorado but I had read about how there was a Colorado state championship race in Eagle, Colorado. And I was like, this is super fun. So I'm going to do this for mountain biking. So I did that event and I ended up winning the cat once, which Dang. I was like, totally not expecting. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I upgraded to pro and I raced pro for the rest of the year and got my butt kicked, uh, at like the firecracker 50, um, there's the steamboat stinger, uh, various other events. And I, just thought it was the greatest thing um and so 2017 i ended up doing a study abroad in europe and i got injured telemark racing again <laughs> so um that kind of knocked me out for 2017 but then i got back into it 2018 and uh that's when i first started to actually really excel in the mountain bike world i ended up winning the uh the steamboat stinger that year and i got second in the breck 100 and i was like oh okay i can actually like keep up with some of these pro guys um which was really good feeling after coming off from injury and uh, not having raced in a while. Um, and so I decided to pursue it more from there. And uh, once I moved to Utah and had a little bit of a break for COVID, but you know, last year I was back at it and racing again and yeah, just love it. Hey man. And what about like uh, sometimes like a parent or family members play into how mm -hmm. this, were you guys like an active family? Was it, did you watch your mom and dad do it? Yeah. So not in the sports that I've done. So skiing and mountain biking, nobody like my parents, they learned to ski when they were older. They're actually from Florida. Most of my family is from the South. So they didn't learn to ski until they were much older, but they learned at Steamboat and, uh, but they weren't really athletes per se. Um, but once I moved to Steamboat, I got into it. And so they kind of, they got into it more once I got into it. Um, my, I would say my brother and sister, they're much older. They're eight and 10 years older. They would ski when they were younger because mm -hmm. uh, my family would travel to Steamboat for vacations. And so they learned to ski there and they've always been relatively athletic. But to be honest, like in the in the world that I'm racing in, I'm kind of the first person in my family to really get into racing per se. So did you like have mentors or friends or buddy? I mean, was this a solo thing you've done? I mean, who's kind of guided you along? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so in mountain biking, um, definitely had a lot of mentors here in Steamboat. There's a really good community of racers here. And uh, I'd say about like 10, 15 years ago, there were a lot of top level racers in Steamboat. 
and that group of racers has gotten a bit older um but there's they would still all go to the town challenge events and when i was first getting into racing um i would love going to these town events it's kind of like the midweek mountain bike in uh, salt lake and they would just kick my butt and i just thought these guys were like insane how good they were brad bingham who now is a you know uh, has a he welds frames part of bingham built um he took over that business from kent erickson he was a big racer here um and he helped me out a lot uh with like learning how my you know how to uh, do bait basic maintenance on my bike which i had no idea how to do at the time and then another local guy jeff Minato, he was always very encouraging to me and you know we would go to various events and like we'd pre-ride the course and he'd like explain how to pick a line through this section and how to pace yourself and then alex pond was another big racer here that has helped me out a lot and so yeah i i really feel lucky and uh very uh thankful that the community and steamboat has been so supportive cool. of me once i started to have success and i definitely attribute that to their mentorship nice um i always joke around with my wife about um like we're we're a bunch of on me dwelly bunch of dads bunch of dudes working families but yet we kind of think of ourselves as like, oh no, I'm like basically a pro. So don't mess around. <laughs> when you when you look at your life, you know, like mm -hmm. when you look at so you're riding, at what point were you like, no, no, I'm good at this? Like I'm gonna do this. How did you know? I would say probably 2018 after I graduated, I so I, that year I did the whiskey off road, the beginning of the season. And I kid you not, I had ridden my mountain bike two times before doing this race. Yeah. And my, don't tell me stuff like this, Tanner. like ridiculous stuff. Oh, I got completely destroyed. I had been cross country skiing all winter. Uh -huh. uh, and so I was fit, but I hadn't ridden my mountain bike because it's snowy in Bozeman until April. Right. And my buddy and I decided back in March, we were going to do this event. And my wife likes to joke around. This is probably the dumbest thing you've ever done. She says, <laughs> we, um, I flew down there. My, my buddy Payson, um, Payson Partridge, he still races at the pro level. Um, he drove down with my bike because I had like classes uh, on Thursday, I believe. And then I flew Friday. I, my flight was delayed. I showed up at Prescott while the women pros were warming up. Oh like God. I literally pulled in on the bus and I saw Kate Courtney <laughs> riding. Mm -hmm. and getting ready to go to the start. And I was like, oh okay. my gosh, I didn't even have my bike. So I had to find Payson, get on my bike, didn't even warm up, showed up at the fat tire crit, which if anyone listened to this has ever done one of those, they are probably one of the most painful things. Yeah. Um, like in the mountain bike, they're shorter than road crits. So it's a sprint the entire time, basically. It's like 25 minutes of just sprinting. And the whiskey one is a huge hill at the beginning. So I just show up at the line and... I only got like five laps into it and I was pulled because I like, you know, my lungs were burning. I hadn't even warmed up. It was ridiculous. And then, you know, two days later at the backcountry race, I got destroyed and I was a bit discouraged because, um, you know, I was like, wow, this world is like, like these racers, because I'd never done an event at that high profile are so unbelievably good. Like I can't fathom how I would be able to get to their level, but I kept racing throughout that summer and I slowly got better and better and better as I actually, I was, I was training more and, you know, it, once I got to like the firecracker, you know, 50 in Breckenridge, I ended up finishing sixth at that. And then I won, won the steamboat stinger. Uh, and so by the time we got to the end of that season, I was like, okay, like, look how far I've come just throughout the course of the season. Right. My life prior to this has been ski only in the winter, bike only in the summer. So I was like, I think if I actually commit to year round training and pursue like having, cause I hadn't had a coach up until this point, I was self-coaching right? Um, and I was doing a little bit of research, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, and so I figured if I actually committed to having a seasoned coach doing year round training that I could do it. And so I did. Nice. And I mean, as, as you've interacted with not only yourself, but other athletes, I mean, what makes a great what do you think makes a great mountain 
racer, a great right. I mean, in my opinion, um, I have like a like a checklist of things that would make somebody really good at this sport. But what do you think? I mean, what makes a guy or a girl great at, at this activity? Mm-hmm. Well, it really does depend on the discipline you're doing, I think. Mm-hmm. But in the marathon XC world and in, in now gravel, which is primarily what I've raced in, I think one of the biggest things is just to be able to put your body through that, like riding at essentially sweet spot for four hours. And you sort of have to trick yourself mentally. Uh, to, so you, so you're not thinking about the fact that you're an hour into the race and you know, you have three hours left of riding at that intensity. Um, and <laughs> if you think about it in that way, then it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but to me, being able to deal with just being on a bike for that long and have the mental um, endurance, I guess to me, there's like the physical endurance and then there's the mental endurance yeah. and having the mentality to be able to just put your head down and go. But like I was saying at the beginning, one of the reasons I don't find that that hard is that I love being on my bike. And mm. so nice. to me, if you genuinely love being riding your bike, uh, then pushing on your bike for four to six, seven hours, uh, isn't that brutal. It's almost like just something that I would do anyways. And, right. and obviously you're going harder because you have the head to head feeling of, you know, competing against other racers. And in that setting, you push yourself harder than you would by yourself. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just going on a bike ride and, you know, I'm enjoying climbing up, you know, like in Colorado, you, you're climbing up to 12,000 feet. You're looking at 14,000 foot peaks. You know, you're taking the view for a minute. It's gorgeous. And then you rip down some fast single track. Um, and, you know, that's always a nice reward for climbing and uh, just being, being able to be out there for like five hours, just ripping around on my Great. bike is yeah. just the coolest thing to me. I, I love that. Great answer, um, Tanner. Well, let, let's talk uh, in our little outline here. You talked about last season. Let's just spend a few minutes talking about 2021, mm-hmm. just because 2020, 2021, they've been super weird for pros. Um, so you got injured in April. You want to talk about that? Like what happened? Yeah. So I, um, coming off 2020, where I basically didn't race. And right. this is my first season working with Sarah. And we did a lot of like testing in 2020. And um, I did some virtual racing okay. through the Wasatch uh, Epic Series. And I was like setting a lot of KOMs and like setting power PRs. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this structure training is really working. <laughs> and I was super stoked going into 2021. Um, a little bummed I couldn't race in 2020. But, you know, during the winter time, I had, I felt like I'd managed a pretty good mixture of off the bike volume and on the bike volume. And I went into the season feeling really good. I was like, this probably is the fittest I've ever been. Um, my power isn't quite what it was at the end of 2020, but it's close. And my, like, I feel fitter than like all my metrics and training peaks were the best that they had been. Um, and the first thing I was going to do is uh, the six hours of Frog Hollow and Sarah and I were doing it as a duo. Uh, and we went down there and I did that race. It was super fun. I was fast. I think I had like the second fastest time on like the climb there um, on like this climb segment on that. And I was like, okay. Cause I like looked at the fastest people on that. And it was like Alex Wilde and Keegan Swenson. I was like, okay, right. so my fitness is pretty good. Um, <laughs> feeling good about this. Um, so I left that event feeling pretty encouraged going into the Soho bike fest. Um, but the next weekend, uh, I ended up, I was doing a endurance ride in corner Canyon and it was just one of those days where I woke up and I'd done a ton of training the day before. And I ended up doing some actually XC skiing. It was a closing day at solitude and the skiing was amazing. So I stayed up longer than I probably should have. Um, and my body was pretty tired, but I was still supposed to do an endurance ride that day. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go out. But something just felt like, I kind of felt like I shouldn't do it. I should just tell Sarah that I did all my endurance off the bike. Like I probably shouldn't push it too much. Um, but I went out anyways, and uh, I was riding down the backside of Corner Canyon and not sure exactly what happened, but I ended up 
my tire went off the side of the trail and I landed on the side of my head really hard. And luckily I didn't suffer too bad of a concussion because I remember a lot of the bits and pieces from that event. But the thing I really distinctly remember is I'm laying on my side. I'm looking basically into Utah County, like at Alpine and the whole image of the Utah County Valley is just spinning in circles repeatedly. And my wife had gotten uh, a pretty serious head injury back in 2018. Um, And I was like, okay, this is not good. (laughs) So (laughs) I got up and I immediately called her to get picked up because I was like, I'm not even going to try to ride all the way home. It's a 20 mile ride to my house at this point. I just had to get to the top of the trail. And as those of you who've ridden in Corner Canyon, there's trailheads and road access literally everywhere. So I picked a pretty good place to crash. I only had to go like half a mile. And she picked me up and I felt pretty nauseous. I went into the ER that night. They were like, yeah, you know, you definitely have a head injury. They determined I didn't have any internal bleeding. So like, you know, I was good to be released, but I did need to um, do some rehab. And as any high, highly motivated athlete would tell you, head injuries are one of the most frustrating things because being pro, like what, from an athlete's perspective, what feeling proactive is like doing training to get yourself back to the top level. You can't do that. You literally just have to sit in your house. You can't even watch TV. You just have to crawl up into a little corner and like try to sleep. Um, And it was really frustrating. And I was doing some trainer rides because um, the visual stimuli of riding outside was too much for me to handle for like a week and a half. And so I was just doing trainer rides and I basically would, I I would increase the intensity a little bit and until where like the symptoms started to elevate and then I'd have to decrease it again. And so I kind of just, you know, Sarah was like, just do open training for a few days. um, See what your body can handle. Like we don't want to push it. You got to look at the big picture here. Um, But eventually, you know, I started doing more and more indoor training and then I went back to doing outdoor training. And, but I missed the Soho Bike Fest, of course, because that would have been ill-advised. And so I went and watched, you know, people race there. I knew several people that were at that event. And I was definitely a little bit bummed because I was like, I feel like I could be doing well here, but I can't race. And so the first event I did after getting, uh, hitting my head was the Gunnison Growler, which is this mountain bike event in Gunnison, Colorado. And it's pretty well known in the Colorado mountain bike scene, maybe not as much in Utah, but it's actually relatively technical, uh, super fun riding, but a lot of rock features. And the bike I was racing on last year is, uh, it's actually a 2018 Trek top fuel. I couldn't get a new bike for a couple of years due to right. supply chain issues. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's an, it's like old XCGO mountain bike. It's like a 71 degree head angle. Um, and I didn't have a dropper on it. So I'm like high posting it with this like old bike doing, trying to do all these rock dropping features. And I was like, okay, this is sketching me out a little bit. So I had a race plan in my head. I was like, okay, I'm going to go super hard for the first half of the race and hopefully, and like go out by myself and build a big enough lead because the last five miles were really technical. And I was like, in order to, you know, preserve my head so I don't crash, I think I'm going to have to walk some of these sections. And so I built like a five minute lead through the halfway point. Um, but I looked at the the course profile said that the first aid station was going to be at like 11 miles and it was 16. So I only brought one water bottle with me. And so I was severely dehydrated. So like I get to the aid station and I grab two bottles, throw one in my pocket and just start chugging water. And then I get to the technical sections and I, I walked a couple of them, but I like run through and quickly get back on my bike with sort of like cyclocross. And, um, I could see one of the guys, Cooper Weens, actually, um, he's starting to catch me and I was like, oh shoot. Um, so I just hammer, hammer out the last couple of miles and I ended up winning. And, uh, I was like, okay, this is like, this was the confidence booster I need. Obviously walking sections of the trail is not ideal, (laughs) but, uh, that, that was, I had, you know, I'll take it as a win coming off the head injury. Um, and so I did, you know, several other races after that, um, GoPro Mountain Games, uh, Firecracker 50, U.S. Nationals, and um, 
I didn't do as well as I had hoped at these. I, and I thought this may have been attributed to the head injury back in April, but I was developing a lot of like pre-race anxiety. Uh, hmm. And my heart rate at the start line for all these events was like 120, which for me is really high. Like I'm usually pretty good at getting my heart rate, like right. at a comfortable, maybe like 80 at the start line. Um, and so my power was all kind of lagging in these events, but my heart rates were like, I was sitting heart rate PRs or close to it and not quite at the level I was hoping to be at. Um, but I wouldn't have any of these symptoms in training. So I was like a bit confused, um, what was going on. Uh, but I, you know, I tried various techniques of how to like calm myself down. And, um, I did the Telluride 100 in late, uh, late July. And I finally didn't have the symptoms and I was like, okay, this is good. So I had a pretty clean race. Um, I ended up riding with Keegan Swinson, like for the first 30 miles, me and him were ahead of everybody. And I was just trying to follow his wheel on this, uh, single track section. Um, that was kind of rolling and then it was downhill. Cause I was like, okay, he's obviously a better descender than me. So if I'm able to follow his lines through here, I can build a big enough gap from the rest of the field. Cause I know he's going to drop me once we get to the next climb, like hands down. Um, but if I can build enough of a lead, I can like solo it and beat everybody else and get second. Um, but so he, he drops me and Kyle Trudeau is like, I can see him catching up with me and we ride together for a little bit. And then we're traversing this side hill and it's kind of shaly and there's some old mine tailings and stuff. And I think this is what happened, but I ended up getting like a catastrophic flat um, and I pull off to the side of the trail and I look at my tire and I see nail poking in the top of the tread through the tire, slashed a big gash through this and through the uh, tire and out the sidewall. And I was like, okay, my guess is what happened is that Kyle in front of me, like knocked the nail up with his tire and then oh, I ended up just yeah. riding over it. And so I was like, oh, I'm so bummed because I finally didn't have the weird, you know, anxiety symptoms at the beginning of the race. And then I end up riding over a nail. One in a million. Behind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I rode with uh, a tube in until the next aid. And then I ended up uh, um, basically running with a tube that was like kind of slow leaking. So I had to shoot it up a couple of times. And then I ended up uh, doing a wheel swap at like, it was like 40 miles in because I couldn't get to my, my family didn't, couldn't get to me until then. And so um, I, various other things happened. I kind of bonked at one point, but then I recovered at the end and I ended up getting fourth. So I was like, okay, the end of the day, I think all, it was a lot of craziness that happened that day, but <laughs> I'll Dang call the win. Well, it was so fun watching you point to point. I mean, you're an incredible racer. Um, and as you transition into being a coach, uh, I asked you to kind of prepare some pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. um, before we wrap up with advice, I'd love to hear about how your point to point went like a quick, mm -hmm. I mean, tell us how that day went. How did that day play yeah. out for you? Yeah, go for it. Sure. Yeah. So I woke up that morning and uh, those of you that race the point to point know that in the morning, the air quality was not Fantastic. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And so I was looking at it and, um, I have a little bit of background in meteorology from my time at undergrad. And so like, I was looking at the weather forecast and I was like, okay, so, you know, we get, you get overnight inversions in park city and the air quality was worse in the Valley than in, on the top of the mountain. So I was like, okay, once it warms up and we climb up under the mountain, air quality will get better. So I was like, I think it's okay. I'm going to race. So I get to the start line. And uh, I lead out the pack on the, the path that leads to the single track. And I ended up like hammering pretty hard for that Round Valley section. Um, and <laughs> the yeah, only okay. one that was riding with me was Truman, Glasgow. Okay. And um, we were actually kind of chatting with each other periodically. And we were kind of like, uh, we were sort of giddy with the fact that like we were out in front of Lachlan Morton. We thought that yeah. was kind of fun. So <laughs> we were like, periodically make jokes about it um and then we basically kind of yo-yoed for the the majority of that yeah. race and um 
you know, in hindsight, I probably took it out a little bit too hard in Brown Valley because I did, my power did fall off in the last mm. 25 miles or so. Um, but when I got to the Silver Lake aid, which is about 30 miles in, I, Truman, you know, got his feed and he kept going and he was hammering up the big bear climb. And I was looking at my heart rate and my power and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to, you know, tone it back a little bit. I'll let him actually get a little bit ahead. And then hopefully I can reel him in later because I think I need to really, you know, uh, lower my intensity, focus mm. on eating and yeah. drinking and hydrating and uh, not continue to just hammer, hammer, hammer. Um, and he was in front of me for about, I think the next 20 miles. Really? And I would periodically see him like on certain descents, like there's a million switchbacks on that route. So like, like the boulder descent on Deer Valley, like it switchbacks like three or four times. So I'd see him like three switchbacks ahead, trying to calculate in my head how far ahead that actually is. Um, and then we get to the John's Trail section, which is my favorite trail on that course because uh, it's very old school. And I'm going around this tight, you know, there's all those tight corners and I go around this tight corner and then there's two moose. That's right. Right in front of me. Oh my gosh. And uh, it was, you know, a bigger moose and a smaller moose. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's a mama with you know, her baby. So uh -huh. don't want to mess around with, no. with these two. So I, I started yelling at it to kind of get it to go off the trail and it wouldn't move. So what I did is I walked like a circle around it, like off of the trail into the woods and then back onto the trail past them. And I looked back at them and they didn't look like they were going to make a move. Dude. And that's why I just hopped on my bike and kept going. And so obviously lost a little bit of time there. Um, but I ended up catching him on the next climb. And then we were together on the CMG descent. And then we were climbing up to, we were starting to go up Armstrong and he had to go to the bathroom. So he pulled off to go to the bathroom in the woods and I got a little bit of a lead there. And then I kept hammering up Armstrong and I built, I think nice. about a minute lead there. And then uh, I had to stop at the Oasis to get some more water. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, that was like, I was just waiting for that aid station to happen. Cause I was like starting to get kind of dehydrated. I was getting a little concerned, um, but I grabbed water real quickly and kept going. And I think I ended up being about a minute ahead going into that final descent. Um, and I was feeling pretty good. And there are some rocky sections on that, like Iron Bill Trail and uh, the Olympic Trail. So I was like, okay, just focusing on descending smooth and not taking too risky of lines and, um, you know, kind of keeping light on my feet, not like plowing over stuff. Um, and I felt like I was descending relatively quickly, but I looked back when we crossed the road there at UOP to get on to Ironville and I could see him. He was like 30 seconds back. Dang. I was like, oh gosh, this is a little nerve wracking. So I pushed it a bit harder down Ironville and I think I, I uh, extended the lead a bit there. And then once I got to, uh, I think it's BYOB, that final flow trail at the bottom, that is when I was pretty confident that I was going to take the win because uh, that trail to me is just kind of fun. I was like, I'm pretty confident I'm not going to get a flat on this because there's really not that many rocks. And so I just had fun, kept it smooth through that. And then I got out into that open section um, and I looked back and I couldn't see him. So that's when Boom. it hit me that I was going to take the win. So cool, dude. What a fun day. I had forgotten about that smoke. And then dude, a lot of racers got hung up with that moose, moose gate, moose, moose gate. <laughs> I know Melissa I, got hung yeah. up for like 10 minutes, I think. Yeah. They just sat there. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> dude. So cool. Yeah. Well, um, Tanner, I wanted to, so Tanner started his own coaching business. I'll, I'll put the link in, in the show notes. Um, but as part of the coaching, I thought it'd be cool, you know, share some advice, what you would say to an athlete. Uh, you've listed kind of like your top three, which are so cool. Um, do you want to just move into those? Let's wrap up with your top three. Um, like if, I, essentially we said, if you're new to the sport, some things that you'd remember, uh, some advice that you'd give. You want to do it? Yeah, totally. So my first advice, and I hit on this, earlier in the pod but the biggest thing for me is get out and ride your bike especially if you're new to the sport uh don't worry about training metrics like ctl and tsb and and like my ftp and my lactate threshold and all this stuff like honestly don't worry about it just ride your bike don't worry about having the lightest possible build getting that xx1 drivetrain you don't need it get a decent bike with decent suspension go out and ride your bike and um that's the time you're building your engine. And like, that's what I was doing when I was in college. Um, nice. And that's like the 
you know, the bedrock of racing is like having that, you know, endurance engine and you can, you know, you can build your, you can, you can improve your power profile and like build your intensity and like, like hone in your skill to like the discipline or the style of racing you're going to do, but you got to get that, you know, you got to get strong first. And so to me, riding your bike is the way you can do that. Um, so the next thing I would say, uh, is, and this especially goes for younger athletes is Mm -hmm. focus on getting strong, not thin. thin. Um, I do, there's a lot of, and still to this day, I see it a lot of toxic language about how, if you lose weight, you will get better because the way watts per kilo works, if your kilos go down, then you're just going to get faster by default. Um, and I did struggle with this a bit in college. I went through various weight fluctuations, like, and I got down to like really skinny, actually at the beginning of my 2018 season, I was like six, one, 145 pounds. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm so good at climbing right now. Like I'd convinced myself that I was fast, but then I got my butt kicked at the whiskey and I actually like gained a little bit of weight and like dramatically increased my FTP throughout the middle point of that season. And I got nice. quite a bit faster, even on the climbing portions of the race, despite the fact that I was like a bit heavier. So um, there's no correct body type for racing. Like if you're at a start line and you're looking at the guy next to you and he's rail thin and you're not, that doesn't mean that he's going to beat you. I agree. Um, like, yeah. you know, focus on, you know, eventually your body will find an equilibrium. Um, but if you focus on the training and eating well, then your body will find that equilibrium, that body type that will be what's fast for you. And that may not look like a rail thin world tour pro, but, and that's totally fine. I agree. Great advice, Tanner. I love that. Is that, I mean, you share that with high school kids, I'm sure with all your that is a, totally. a key, yeah. yeah, real smart. Okay. Yeah. And I think that in the last piece I'll say about that is that, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of talk about like women having, um, you know, like various issues around like women and, and, uh, uh, disordered eating and, and stuff and cycling, but it definitely applies to guys too. And so like, if you're a guy, it doesn't mean that it's okay to, you know, talk about just getting thin and fast too. like same rules apply to you. You should focus on getting strong first and foremost. Nice. Um, Real and then smart. the last, yeah. And then the last piece I would say is balance is really the key to building a successful training plan, becoming a, a successful athlete. Um, training life comes first, training comes second. Uh, so even if you're competing at a high level and you know, you're training six days a week, 20 hours a week, more, maybe more, um, doing things that prioritize your, your mental health, like spending time with friends, maybe off the bike, maybe skiing on a powder day. Um, you know, like enjoying music. Uh, I used to, I played music in high school and I thought it was a great way to get my mind off of skiing. And I felt like it helped my skiing actually. Um, and so if there's an instance where you miss a training workout to do something that is going to be beneficial to your mental health, then that is hundred percent. Okay. You're not a failure for missing a workout. Um, you know, life isn't all about training and you got to look at the bigger picture, um, doing stuff that is going to keep you feeling good and being mentally strong is more important than nailing all of your workouts. And so I think balance is hundred percent, the most important thing. I agree. And I think that one kind of like compounds over the years, like you might be able to suffer through like, well, I'm not balanced. I'm not balanced. I'm not balanced dude. But sooner or later, I think that catches up with an mm-hmm. athlete. Um, totally whether they just like burn out and they're like dude i am done they 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 don't even they almost like need a whole year away um so that is very good advice but hard but also very difficult um you know as as things stack up on top of us as athletes so great totally tanner you're uh so your coaching service you want to talk about that as we wrap up yeah totally so you can find me at uh well i got an instagram page rockhorn racing 
www.rockhornracing.com is the website. And the name is from, we grew up in Bozeman and uh, two of our favorite places were this Lockhorn Cider House and Rock Haven Camp. So we combined the name into, to Rockhorn. Um, so that's the backstory behind that. Um, but basically I'm offering a variety of uh, coaching services to individual athletes, to teams. Um, you know, if, if any of that is of interest to you, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, I am, my services include, you'll see like the different packages I have on the website. Um, those are like general, um, like general guidance as to what I would offer. If you want to reach out to me and we have an interview and you're like, I need this, like, let's say, you know, I'm managing a bunch of other sports and I just want somebody to maintain my fitness while I'm doing these other things. I can, I'm happy to be flexible and like kind of build in your own custom plan. Um, so if any of that interests you, feel free to reach out. Um, one of, I'm going to be operating through the Training Peaks platform. Um, if you're training with power, going to be using WKO5 software to optimize your power profile there. Um, and I really want to work on my biggest uh, goal with this is having top level communication. And so I, nice. I want to be talking to my athletes and I have the clients I have so far, we text almost every day. I have phone calls with them um, almost weekly. I, I try to reach out to them to see if they want to chat. Um, I think that chatting, especially over like a Zoom platform where you can kind of, you can see people's body language and kind of see how they're doing <laughs> and how, you know, the training is working for them. And so I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm keeping up with all my clients and making sure that the training is working for them. If something is not working, let me know right away. And so Very cool. that is a little bit of background there, but feel free to, you know, reach out on the website or shoot me an email, okay. rockandracing at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to learn more. Sure. I'll put, and the link will be in the show notes. Uh, I'll include it. And then obviously if we're posting this to Instagram and stuff, we'll be able to see your, uh, your page and, and connect with you. Tanner, I am uh, a flattered that you would be on the program with us, dude, you're a stud and uh, uh, lots of fun. I wish we would have had a little more time on these pieces of advice. Uh, maybe we can have you back on after the summer or something like that. We can talk more about um, what you learned in 2022 and just kind of how the season goes. It'd be fun to have you back on. So appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. And I'm looking forward to seeing you out there on the, the race course as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Dude. I'll be a support. I ain't going to be riding. <laughs> I'll just be handing you bottles. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. The more the merrier. <laughs> All right, Tanner. Appreciate it, man. Have a great day. All right. Thank you.